Welcome to It's No Secret, a podcast for Kiwis who want their money questions answered. Ready, steady, go. This podcast will answer the money questions you may or may not have on your mind. We'll talk to real Kiwis and share truths about our own financial lives, both the successes and the failures. Because the truth is, there is no secret to achieving financial freedom. Today on the podcast, we're answering the question of how do I budget for a baby? If you haven't been listening along to the podcast already or following us on the gram, you'll be excited to know that Kat has recently had her first baby. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) So she has first and very recent experience as to what it's like budgeting and saving for a baby. So much so that we actually ended up chatting for ages on this podcast about the topic and needed to split it up into two episodes, part one and part two. So be sure to follow us to be notified for part two. Before we jump into it, we'd also like to mention that this episode mentions miscarriage. We understand this topic can be triggering, so please be mindful when listening. So I mean, Kat, take it away. Let's dive in. You're the now expert on this topic. (laughs) Well, I think it was good. We we thought we'd start with what does society tell us? Because, you know, this is a quite... Per, well, a oh, super personal topic, mm. and I think one that people have a lot of fear and judgment around because children are expensive. We're told children are expensive, and often I think you know, in my personal experience, people can fall into one of two camps when it comes for preparing for a baby or preparing for a new, you know, p- person in your family. Um, and very much, you know, there are the group of people that are by like you'll be fine. Just make it work financially. Like it'll all sort out. And I have no doubt that, well, and also I've seen my friends live that, that they do make it work and it will be fine. But then there's also the people like me who really need to be like planned and ready. Yeah. And I just wanted to shout out that, you know, neither of those is right or wrong and they both have their place. Mm. But I guess the point of this episode is to kind of talk through some of the ways in which we planned to be ready and thought through the expenses that were upcoming because I'm not the kind of person that will make it work. I mean, I've been doing that since like COVID started and I'm (laughs) fucking done. (laughs) Like, I don't want to be making it work anymore. I just just want to be cruising. Can we just plan and control everything? Yeah, I want to go back to like financial planner life. (laughs) So that's what we were talking about. But um, did you want to highlight some of that stats from Finder? Because they were quite eye-opening. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, to Kat's previous point, I would definitely fall in the camp of you'll be fine because obviously no idea where to start um so in my research for this episode I did find a report by finder in 2019 that found that 49 percent of parents wanted to have more savings before having children and yeah honestly I'm not really surprised by that I feel like it's something that I've heard before of oh we you know have this baby and it just like came and uh, we were unprepared financially for it right so um yeah not really that surprised were you surprised by that um, I, I don't think so. I guess, you know, it's probably easy to think after the fact it would have been nice to have more savings. And mm-hmm. so potentially that experience is boosting that number up. But I guess as well, like you never really know. And so, mm. you know, thinking about maybe why people fall into the you'll be fine and make it camp work. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, is it because they actually just don't really know? And like with anything in money, it's much easier to stick your head in the sand and kind of just face it when it's here right rather than kind Mm. of go through the potential stress of figuring out 
whether or not you're going to have enough money because, you know, that is stressful and it's worth recognizing. If you find out you're pregnant tomorrow and then you undertake the exercise of finding out if you have enough money to have that baby and the answer is that you don't or you need to do some work, that's a very stressful place potentially to be in. So I can totally understand why people just kind of like – It'll be what it'll be. Yeah. <laughs> we, it's going to happen anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I thought was interesting in that same finder report was that one in eight parents wished that they had bought a home before welcoming a child. Mm. And this is something that we're going to touch on when we kind of go through, I guess, our financial journey with planning for a kid, because I can totally see why that is relevant because you know, we are told that um, there are certain things that are harder to do financially after you have kids, i.e. get mortgages and, you know, just generally have more surplus or kind of available income to save or invest for, say, a home, if that's what you're working towards. Um, But then on the flip side as well, when I was looking through this, you know, depending on where you live, you may actually have quite a big expense hurdle to overcome being a mortgage. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that in itself places a bit of stress around, okay, well, you know, we have a pretty high threshold of like minimum expenses to overcome whilst potentially one person's off work. How are we going to do that? So, yeah, that is something that we will touch on. Well, and I mean, that just makes me think of how a lot of families do move out of the city, right, in order to be able to create that lifestyle for when they do have the kids and it's lower barrier to entry to get on the property ladder and things like that. So I guess the life decision then drives the financial decision. Exactly. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yep. And also one thing that I found quite interesting, well, this is more of an assumption that I had, is that basically once you have your kids, their needs come before your own. So Mm -hmm. that's in terms of like investing in Mm -hmm. yourself. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know that Kat and I are huge advocates of this. So this is absolutely a fear that I have and perhaps some will think that that's selfish, but you know, when I have children, am I going to have to forego all my fun money yeah. and then completely put it into kids? So yeah. I guess, yeah, another another reason to plan ahead. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I obviously can't comment on that right now because we haven't yet had the baby, but I am interested <laughs> to live that experience and report back on it because yeah. <laughs> I think it, you know, I guess on the flip side, I would be comfortable with the assumption that our priorities are going to change. So naturally mm-hmm. our spending may change and that might be cool, but it'll be interesting, I guess, to see in what degree, right? Yeah. Particularly, particularly if you come from a place where, um, you know, I do value spending time on myself and money on myself and doing things that Luke and I enjoy and how that might change in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Nice. But yeah, but I guess before we go into planning for a baby, there's some other things we should chat about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, in order to um, have a baby, you are pregnant for nine months, right? So <laughs> yep. I'm like, is that the right amount of time? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess there's a there's obviously costs involved with that journey. So keen to dive into a little bit around. Yeah, the expense of being pregnant and is it does it cost a lot more to be pregnant or not? Mm. Or is that, you know, if you have health insurance, does that support the expenses that come with that? So, yeah, yep. do you want to start with, I guess, yeah, costs involved with conceiving a baby? That's a great place that, to start. That's a great place. <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, it's worthwhile highlighting that this is probably the part of the journey that I didn't really spend any time thinking about from a financial point of view. I was very much so focused on what we would need to spend when the baby was here and then the, you know, proceeding however many months for one of us being off work. Mm. Um, and of course, this period of, you know, getting pregnant and maternity in general is very varied for people, right? It really varies based on how successful you are at naturally conceiving. So mm-hmm. we were lucky in that um, we were able to conceive naturally. So there wasn't really any change 
in our lifestyle or choices in order to get pregnant. You know, I continued things like going to the gym. We didn't need to use any fertility services um, or additional kind of things to help that happen. The main additional costs for us were vitamins. Um, But funnily enough, when I got pregnant the first time, um, I didn't actually start any of those vitamins until I was pregnant. And then I kind of was Mm -hmm. like, oh, in an ideal world, they say you should start taking them three months before. And I was like, oh, stuff that. So, you know, it was fine. I just took them from the point of like a positive test onwards. Um, And I guess, you know, fun fact for that stuff is some of the vitamins can be really expensive. You know, we all are aware of what the pink tax is and the fact that things are marketed to women in a more expensive way. And certainly like prenatal and maternity definitely falls in that bucket as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get quite expensive off-the-shelf vitamins um, or you can get ones prescribed by your doctor, which do the exact same thing, and because you're pregnant, they're government-funded. Oh. So in the first instance, I didn't pay for any of that stuff. Um, the other fun thing is within New Zealand, all of your pregnancy-related GP appointments are covered. So if you're enrolled in a doctor – you know, I think my doctor's like $50 every time I go. So you don't have to pay for those appointments. Mm -hmm. So if you have kind of, I guess, any medical concern at any point in time, you can have a GP appointment and do that. Um, We had to think about things like what type of care we wanted when to actually have the baby. And you've written here, Christine, private versus public, which is really interesting (laughs) because this is really different in Australia than it is in New Zealand. And so I found the choice in New Zealand actually a little bit easier because the option of private versus public in Australia is you're literally choosing between giving birth in a private hospital or a public hospital. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, if you're in a private hospital, there are costs involved with that, but the level of service and care is quite different to a public. Um, Also like the length of stay Mm -hmm. after you have the baby and all those sorts of things. Whereas in New Zealand, your main choice is what type of provider, i.e. like carer for you actually delivering the baby do you want to have and for most people that's the choice between an obstetrician or a midwife and the latter being government funded so for most permanent residents in New Zealand it's completely free if you go down the midwife path versus if you choose to have an obstetrician which is not government funded you need to pay about five to six thousand dollars for their services so when we found out we were pregnant we didn't even consider having an obstetrician. Just it actually just didn't even really cross Luke in my mind. I guess I was like had no health risks, and yeah. you know we hadn't had any kind of lengthy journey to get pregnant. I do have other friends that have chosen obstetricians because they've gone through fertility services or IVF, and you know they just mm-hmm. have, I guess, a, more of a desire to have extra medical care or a need to have extra medical care. We didn't need that, so we just went with a midwife and. The only thing that you have to then sort of pay for is basically the cost of your scans. Oh, so yeah, okay. that's like about – it has been about 60 to $80 every time I go to Auckland Radiology to <laughs> have a scan nice. for the baby. <laughs> and that's kind of it. Um, that was, I guess, the relatively easy part. And for most people that have listened to the show, they probably know that the first time we got pregnant, we actually had a miscarriage at 12 weeks. Um, and so this was potentially where we had costs involved that, of course, we didn't expect because when you go into this exercise, no one expects for the worst case scenario to happen. Um, but one of the things that happened was I needed to undergo a medical procedure called a DNC, which is fairly common at a certain point of a miscarriage. Um, and sometimes this can be covered by public care, but in my instance, it wasn't. So we had the choice to pay for the surgery. And luckily 
Um, we've actually had health insurance for about 18 months at that point, And the health insurance covered like, I think 50% of the surgery, mm. but it was still about $3,000 that we had to pay out of pocket. Mm. Um, <clears throat> we obviously had an emergency fund, so yeah. that money came out of that fund and we were really like keen on that, but that was something that we hadn't sort of factored in. Um, and I guess the other thing that we've talked about previously is <clears throat> then post miscarriage, I sort of went through a period of spending more money on myself (laughs) (laughs) to recuperate, but also just give myself a bit of a break. So, you know, your hormones go crazy when you're pregnant. I spent a lot more money on my skin and going to various different therapies and getting acupuncture. So they were definitely expenses I hadn't factored in, but I was happy to pay for at that time. Um, The second time around, obviously for this pregnancy, I did go on some slightly different vitamins which were about $60 a bottle. And I think you get through about a bottle a month. So that's sort of, you know, I think for about four months I had to take those. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I did continue with acupuncture, but mostly because I'm just naturally a bit of a stress head. And I found that quite a relaxing, like almost meditative um, experience. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Experience to go through. I actually stopped doing that once we got to about 14 weeks, just because I felt like I didn't really need it. Um, But I did that Mm -hmm. for pretty much the lead in, just coincidentally and then we fell pregnant and then continued that for about 14 weeks so I did that um and I see here that you've also noted what about medical appointments and time off work and this was really good because one of the things I guess I hadn't really thought about was we're obviously lucky to work in a job where we have flexible work um and a lot of time and flexibility around like managing yourself so you know, you don't always have the choice of being able to see your midwife or a doctor when you want to see them. You have to kind of see them on like their terms, yeah. right? Because they're very busy. Yeah. Um. So often those appointments have been, you know, 10 o'clock or 2 p.m. or like whatever time really. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I've just been lucky that I haven't actually had to use any leave mm-hmm. for those appointments. I've just managed to work, work around that. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like that could it could be a huge expense to people if you've Definitely. got if you're also actually I was thinking about this if you are trying to bank up your leave to use that to extend your maternity leave or yes. something like that which mm-hmm. I think have you been doing that we'll get to that oh, yeah, <laughs> we okay. will see I have my suspicions yeah um, that you know if you then have to use that before you actually go on maternity leave to for sure. um for these appointments so yeah, yeah. appreciate that it's not. As easy as exactly, and if you're in, if you're a shift worker or something, like you may Mm. just not have as much flexibility around some of those types of appointments. Um, Things that I guess changed as well once I was pregnant that had a monetary effect was I did eventually stop the gym and I went to F45, so obviously that's a relatively expensive cost. But (laughs) I then switched that over to going to prenatal (laughs) Pilates. So really, that kind of monetary expense ended up same same um and I think then the other thing I just would flag is I have had more regular health appointments so probably I've been a bit more consistent about going to chiropractor and dry needling and other things I have also had to see a couple of extra specialists just because think weird stuff happens to your body that you don't (laughs) expect like Mm. this is probably unknown to anyone that's never had a baby but it's really common that um you grow skin tags when you're pregnant because your hormones are so strong So I have had to see a dermatologist about potentially getting some skin tags removed because they're just in areas that in summer and it being hot 
uh, quite yes. uncomfortable. Yeah, very <laughs> you know, So just little things like that. Luckily, most of those appointments have been covered under um, my private health insurance, but, you know, those sorts of things. And then the other thing I did want to flag, because this is something we hadn't factored in at all, was we probably spent much more money on food mm. for quite a period of time, like in terms of just I think our grocery bill went up quite a bit because mm. there was a sustained period of time where I genuinely just could not cook or like even look at food and Luke was quite busy. <laughs> and so we would default to really easy takeaways or yeah. like, you know, I think we were having like fish and chips three nights a week and <laughs> like curries. And then, you know, we probably yeah, were having right. takeaway three to four nights a week, which is a privileged position to be in. But it was just also one of those things of mm. you just do whatever you can to kind of like make it through, through. Yeah, your first totally. trimester. Um, and then, of course, I have had to buy some clothes. So this is the other thing I didn't really factor in. Um, but worth highlighting that, you know, when you're pregnant, you don't tolerate discomfort like you otherwise would (laughs) um and the one thing actually I didn't quite anticipate is I have found this a challenge with the type of work that we do compared to say one of my friends who's pregnant at the moment and she's a nurse Mm. so obviously if you're a nurse you have a work provided uniform they have maternity uniforms so she's just got this whole new work provided maternity uniform which is super (laughs) comfy and you don't have to pay for that yeah whereas the challenge Mm. that I've had is like I don't want to spend a ton of money on buying a whole new maternity work wardrobe and yes. then casual wardrobe, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. But then you very quickly go down a slippery slope of looking far too casual at work, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which Christine knows I have been talking about recently because sometimes I'm like, well. I no, I'm like, like oh, you're wearing Lululemon pants? Yeah. I, I want to wear them too. I feel like I've worn my Lululemon shorts far too much than is like acceptable. Um, but that's just probably something that, yeah, I didn't quite anticipate. And then, of course, there are other things that maybe – you just want to do before the baby is born that cost money and potentially you try and capitalize on that a little bit mm. more than you otherwise would, i.e. going on a holiday or going out for dinner or yeah. making the most of those types of things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I think I'm, I'm curious around the clothes thing because, mm. you know, I've have friends of friends who have obviously been through this as well and yep. they are trying to buy things, clothes that you can use during pregnancy but then also on the other side in yes. terms of, you know, like special pregnancy gear and things like yep. that. But is it worth spending the money on? Uh, you know, like yeah. obviously you need clothes that are going to accommodate your changing body but exactly. how do you make that last longer? Because clothes are expensive as well, right? They are. It's, yeah, you know? they are. And it's really hard to – anticipate how much you're going to grow like that sounds Mm. quite silly but I think because if you've never been through it before you're like okay well I'm a size up now surely this is where I'm going to stop and then you could very quickly size up again without realizing that you were going to do that Mm. um and so yeah that has been hard I, I have heard that just you know one general trick is to try and buy things that you can comfortably wear post having the baby and that are potentially easy for like breastfeeding or like looking after the child, all that kind of stuff. That is totally valid. The thing that I've struggled with with that is I'm going to have the baby in the middle of winter. It's currently (laughs) summer. I'm dying. Like, think about that. (laughs) You know, I was like, this is, and actually to be fair, I almost, I think now is the harder time versus in winter when the baby's here, I'm like, okay, it's a lot more acceptable to just 
buy giant like i have giant oversized jumpers anyway right or kind of you know you can you can layer up as well to make it exactly yeah leaving leggings a bit more and that kind of stuff and just (laughs) throw a coat on get away with it boots on and be done (laughs) yes summer wardrobe is is a bit harder yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but yeah but i guess like just wanted to highlight that you know these are the things that we experienced and really that I couldn't have anticipated in advance because, you know, we hadn't been through it, didn't know what it was going to be like. Mm. Um, it will obviously be different to everyone. But, yeah, just I think probably having an awareness that we were going to have to absorb more expenses in the nine months leading mm. up to the pregnancy outside of buying stuff just for the baby. Yeah. I didn't have as much awareness of. Yeah, right, right. Um yeah. Okay. And so I guess during that time as well, has there anything else like significant that has popped up? So I have here like needing to get another car or, you know, yes. obviously <laughs> we are currently recording this podcast, not at Kat's house. It is next door. So there's a renovation happening. <laughs> there is a renovation happening. Yeah. So I think, you know, this obviously depends on what your kind of living situation and life stage is, but yeah. I would say it's probably a fair comment that a lot of people try and do things sooner before a baby arriving, right? Because Luke and I had that chat of once the baby's here, we're not going to do anything on the yeah. house for probably like years yeah. because we're like, we just don't want to do that. And um, you won't have any sleep. So exactly. <laughs> you won't want to pick up a hammer. Or exactly, whatever. exactly. So we have tried to drive forward a little bit with some um, renovation-y stuff. Mm. We had budgeted for that separately. But the one thing that did pop up that we didn't expect was we currently only have one car. And we've just sort of, I guess, come to the realization that with each of our working situations and mm. what's happening, that's probably going to be rather impractical when the baby's here. Yeah. So, yeah, right. And yeah. of course, so if Luke is now flying, if he's exactly. going to be yeah. So, yeah, having obviously a car's not like a small expense. No. So, I'm not super <laughs> stoked about that situation. But yeah. we are just working through that. And I guess as well, it's February. The baby's due at the end of May. We're realistic about the fact that we probably don't need a second car in the first mm. couple of months. So, we're trying to be practical about using that time between, say, now and like July to be able to actually save so, for a car. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And I guess also too that you don't want to just buy a secondhand car that's cheap because it's for a baby, so it yep. has to be safe and yep. blah, 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 right? exactly. Yeah. Yep, you've got to be a bit more picky. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get that soccer mom bag. Yeah, <laughs> we're not buying that like four thousand dollar golf that we used to have that yeah. blew up on the side of the motorway. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah, so trying to work through that at the moment. But yeah, nice, nice. Mm. Okay, love it. And so I guess you know. If you're a listener and you're thinking, cool, love of loving what I'm hearing about the cost so far. But, you know, one thing when I was approaching this um, episode, I was like, what does your baby budget actually look like? Like, mm-hmm. how do you approach planning that out? Because, you know, there's, as you've mentioned, things that have popped up and unforeseen expenses. Like, do you just like finger in the wind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this, of course, I think is a stressful part as well, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, Lots of people look forward to having time off at at an emotional level or like Mm -hmm. are really excited for that. Obviously, you know, you have a baby, it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, But the financial implications of that can be quite stressful. So um, this is something that I found easy. And the reason I found it easy is because we used to do this a lot for financial advice clients in Melbourne. So Mm -hmm. I was very used to kind of, I guess, 
taking people's budgeting spreadsheets and removing an income and adding in some additional expenses and then being like, right, this is your deficit. So <clears throat> when actually I was say? noting this last night, I was like, there might be some people that are not in a deficit. And if you're not, stop listening to this show because <laughs> Move on. you'll be fine. Fast forward. But, you know, I would be hard pressed to find that many people that are already homeowners that go down to one income, or even if you're not a homeowner, that go down to one income and are not in a deficit, mm. you know? So mm. I think for the vast majority of people <clears throat> going on maternity leave or paternity leave, whatever it is, you're going to have some kind of cash flow shortfall in some capacity. Yeah. So it's that that we're talking about preparing to cover for the period of time because, you know, my idea of a worst nightmare would be not preparing for that, having the baby, being in a negative cash flow position and then really struggling in a time where you are like very sleep deprived and stressed and trying yeah. to figure out what the heck you're doing. It's a whole um, nother layer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. having like monetary worries. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, another fun fact for you. So in my research, I found that while New Zealand has 26 um, weeks paid parental leave for the primary carer, we are just one of four countries with no paid parental leave for fathers or secondary carers. Um, and that the payment uh, is your ordinary weekly pay up to approximately $621.76 per week maximum, which is not a lot. Like no. if I put that in context, yep. that's Ollie and I's future rent as of this weekend, yep. like for two people. Yep. So. Yeah. Along with everything yeah. else. <laughs> and that's your pre-tax number. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, you get taxed yes, on that. True. <laughs> it was not great. No. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it is great that obviously New Zealand has some kind of parental leave. I think it's also worth noting that um, in Australia, it's actually more common <clears throat> for your employer to fund leave. So, um Whilst I would say that there are there are definitely some businesses and, you know, we think of some of the bigger businesses like in New Zealand or the banks. I know Westpac, for example, they, you know, top up your whole 26 weeks. So you're basically getting six months of full pay. Mm. Um, that's great. But there's a lot of businesses that don't do that. Yep. Whereas in Australia, it's far more common to be mandated in employment agreements and also for whole industries. For mm. example, if you work in the um, public sector, so you're a government employee, you're basically fully paid. Mm, yeah. um, and, you know, I know for one of – I think we talked about this a little while ago. For one of my friends in Australia, um, she had, I think, six months paid leave, took 12 months off in full, and her husband got three months paid leave as secondary carer from his employer. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. So, yeah. Well, is that good? The yeah, first question that good. all of my Australian friends asked me when I told them I was pregnant, <laughs> they're like, how much paid leave do you get? And I was like, none. <laughs> Like from work, right? We're got and that's a side yeah. note. We're going through a negotiation of setting up a like parental leave scheme, but it is yeah. worth on noting that yes, most people I would say are reliant on the, the government pay. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'd been setting money aside for parental leave since about 2020, and we'd been running the calculation since 2019. And it's worth on noting this because every time we ran the calculations, they would kind of change, right? Because your income changes, potentially who yeah. may be taking the leave changes, situations change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this was something that whilst we had no intention of having a baby in 2019, <clears throat> we'd been factoring into like our financial goals and discussions for quite a while. Yep. Um, we also basically, um, originally were planning that I would be, well, all going on leave whilst being the primary income earner, because listeners of the show will know that Luke lost his job during COVID. So since 
oh gosh, March of 2020, I've been the sole income earner. So that added another layer of like stress because yeah. <laughs> that's quite terrifying to be like, what if we have to take time off work and we have like no income? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> so definitely. That was a factor. Um, <clears throat> And then we also, I think, just relative to highlight that the vast majority of the money that we had saved, we set aside from the property that we sold last year that we talked about. So um, that's how we actually funded that amount. However, if we hadn't have sold the property, we had been working on putting this into basically our savings plan and knowing that we'd probably need like 18 months to be able to save for that. So time was needed, right, to be able to do that. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Part two of this conversation will be out later in the week, so be sure to hit those notification bells to find out when. As always, we'd love to hear from you, so get in touch with us on Instagram at It's No Secret NZ or hit us up on the website www.itsnosecret.co.nz. See you next Tuesday.